Hi, everyone. Welcome to Ridgeview Church. My name is Alex Barrett, and I'm the lead pastor here. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us. I hope this next uh, hour of your life is an encouragement to you. And we have just launched a new series last week called God With Us. And so today we're on week two, talking about the birth of Christ and how his birth and him coming to earth makes a difference in every facet in every season of life. And so I read the scripture last week. I want to read it again this week and every week through this series. Here's the account of Jesus' birth, just a brief account found in the book of Matthew. And it says this, look, the virgin will conceive a child, talking about Mary. She'll give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so at the very core of Christ coming, you see the title of his name, this Emmanuel, God with us. He entered earth, he entered space, he entered time to dwell here so we could learn from him. He also came so that we could connect back to God through his sacrifice. He came to die for our sin. He came to return us back to God. And so when we talk about God with us, we're talking about the very power that's being restored to us because of God's love. The fact that he sent his son who was born and who died and who rose again on our behalf. And so in Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, we celebrate the greatest event in history, the moment that changed everything for you and I and for everyone who's come before us and for everyone who's come after us. And so this is something worth celebrating and something worth focusing on. But just like the Christmas season, there's times where you can put the tree out, you can put the lights up, you get gifts, but you can still feel empty. In fact, at Christmas, it's very easy to be stressed out. Do you find that in your life? Like you're running around, you're so busy doing all sorts of things. By the end, you're you're exhausted. Well, this represents a lot of what is like in life. Like we can maybe even know that God came and maybe we can know that God is with us. Or we maybe even just maybe... No, he exists. He's there if we ever need him, but we can just feel like we're alone. And so this series is about how God is with us even in the hard seasons. Last week, we talked about how God's with us in the valleys. These are times when things are just not going our way, when we feel like we're just kind of left by ourselves and we need help. Today, we're talking about how God is with us in the wilderness, Now, the wilderness is different than the valleys. It actually represents a longer time of waiting. I'm defining the wilderness like this. It's a barren, dry, and desolate place where you feel alone. Now, when you look at that, that's not the most comforting idea. It's not something that you want to wake up to like, I'm in the wilderness. Great. No, usually when you're in the wilderness, you're really in maybe a dry period of life. There's been things that maybe have not been going your way. And it represents, like I mentioned, this this waiting. The wilderness in scripture is this metaphor for this wandering that happens. The Israelites wandered in the desert, in the wilderness, for 40 years, awaiting to go to the promised land that God had promised. And we find ourselves in the wilderness as well when we're, we're waiting for God to come through. Maybe we're working in certain areas and we're just wanting to make progress. Uh, If you're a parent, you can experience the wilderness in your parenting as you're, you're trying to train your kids. You're trying to, to love them and teach them. There's times where you could be putting so much work into parenting, but it sometimes seems like your, your kids are going backwards. Like the more you're teaching them, the less they're learning. Or the more you're trying to help them, the, the less they appreciate that. That could be very normal in parenting. We also experience that in work. 
know if you've ever had that experience where you are just doing everything you can above and beyond. You're busting it, you're busting it, you're busting it, you're just working so diligently. And in the end, you feel like there's nothing to show for it. It's like you, you have a bucket of your work, but the bucket has holes in it and the, the, the water's just draining out and you have nothing. That's like the wilderness. Financially, it could be the same. You've been working hard at work, but also in your finances to, to be wise, to, to be diligent maybe in your spending, but then unexpected expenses keep coming up and you feel like you can't get ahead. You maybe keep trying to put money in savings and then again, that savings is gone. And that can be the wilderness as well. Wherever we find ourselves in every facet of life, we have this season of, of waiting where it seems like the input, what we're trying to do, and then the output, what we experience, is not the same. So when we talk about God with us, it's not just all the great sparkly light times of life. It's in these dry times, these barren times, the times where it seems like we're wondering, just waiting for God to direct us. There's another characteristic of the wilderness to kind of help you identify for your own life. And this is the overwhelming sense of being tired. Most mornings when I wake up, I feel tired. A lot of people that I talk to feel tired. In fact, when I ask people how they're doing, a lot of responses I get is, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I'm drained. Certainly we've seen the uptick in that this year. It's been draining, it's been tiring, it's been overwhelming. So oftentimes in the wilderness, there's a sense like even if you get rest, you still feel worn out. Do you feel like that yourself? I know I can. Dr. Henry Cloud, he's a remarkable Christian counselor. And he's helped a lot of Christian leaders, a lot of Christians on what does it mean to, to walk with God and how to kind of your whole life, your mind, your soul, your, your body, your spirit, how do you really do things his way? How do you align with, with the scriptures and with truth? But he's seen so many issues, especially with pastors, especially with Christian leaders, of just this overwhelming sense that they are all worn out. They're tired. They feel like they, they can't go on. And so he's seen like, wow, these, these leaders seem like they're, they're in this wilderness. And what's interesting in his work and how he's even been helpful in the things that I've read is he has looked at the fact that oftentimes what people are thinking as being tired and, and how to solve it by maybe just sleeping more is actually misdiagnosing the problem. And here's kind of a summary of, of what I've seen of what he's put out. And it's this, when in the wilderness... You're not in need of physical rest as much as you are in need of spiritual replenishment. So oftentimes in the waiting, or when things aren't going your way and you're just asking God to come through, or you're wanting things to change and they're not seeming like it, it's not necessarily an issue of, I just, I'm, I'm worn out and I, I need to rest. It could be you're worn out, you may need to rest, but you also need God. You need to hear from Him. You need to seek him. And so here's the overarching point that I really want you to hear today. And I want you to just kind of take in and focus on it. And it's this, your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. Let me say that again. Your deepest need, it becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. What that means is the deepest need, the waiting, the change that you hope for, the progress that you want to make, that can actually become a gift as it forces you, causes you, leads you to turn to God and ask Him for help. Today, I want to kind of highlight this, the wilderness, and talk through this through the story of Elijah. And if you've never read Elijah, he's a prophet in the Old 
Testament. Today we're going to focus on 1 Kings chapter 19. And his story is remarkable. He was used by God in so many ways. In fact, in the context of today's story, he just had a mountaintop experience on Mount Carmel. He experiences the power of God, God coming through victory against the enemies against Israel, the enemies against himself. People came against him. We'll look at some of those characters in a moment. But again and again, he trusted God. He did what God had said. He proclaimed the truth to the people of God and he was used in a mighty way. And so he experienced this victory And right after this victory, he went into the wilderness of his life. And that's often what you find. You see this even with Jesus Uh, as he was baptized and he came out of the water and God's like anointing came on him as he was baptized by John the Baptist. The spirit was upon him. And then he entered the wilderness for 40 days after that and got tested by Satan himself. So oftentimes you have these mountain type experiences where things are going well, and then you enter this wilderness, this this prolonged kind of sense of of wandering and and waiting for God to come through. And this had happened in Elijah's life. Let me give you uh, some, some context. There was an evil king named King Ahab, and King Ahab pursued him, wanted to take him out. He was against Elijah. He was against God. He was against the Israelites. His whole life was kind of destined to, how can I rob God of his people's power? How can I come against uh, the purposes of God? And so he was this kind of arch nemesis to Elijah, his, his whole ministry. But in the middle of all this, Elijah continued to trust God. Now, right after this latest victory on Mount Carmel, King Ahab talks to his wife Jezebel, and he shares with Jezebel all that Elijah had been able to do. And he'd been able to conquer the enemies of King Ahab and his people and come against him. And he's saying like, listen, this guy's coming against us. God's using him in these ways. And Jezebel, his wife became furious. And it's as if she's looking at her husband and saying, you know what? This hasn't seemed to be working. You've been coming against him, but his power is growing. His integrity in God, his trust in God is growing. And so she decides, you know what? I'm going to send him a message myself. And she does. And she tells Elijah, by this time tomorrow, you will be killed. We are going to take you out. We're coming for you. We're hunting you down. So again, mountaintop, the victory in God. He's seen it again and again and again, and he gets this threat of his life from Jezebel. Now, I don't say that lightly because anytime you have somebody threaten your life, it's going to cause you to just just shake in in your boots. You're going to be freaking out. But again, we're talking about this track record of Elijah. He's seen God come through. He's seen enemy after enemy destroyed by God's hand. But there's something that happened in this moment where actually Elijah gave in to fear. And so he decides, I gotta, I gotta get away. I gotta escape King Ahab's jurisdiction and he's gonna travel all the way to Mount Horeb, about 125 miles away. He's gonna get out of there so that he can be clear of Jezebel, he can be clear of King Ahab. And this is where I wanna pick up the story in 1 King 19, Verse four, this is what it says. Then he was afraid, talking about Elijah after the threat. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. Verse four, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. 
I just want to highlight a couple things there. First off, when we say he ran, he left and he ran to Beersheba. This wasn't just like a 5K run that he could get done in 30 minutes. This was a hundred mile trek across barren land. There was no Uber that he could call to pick him up. There was no, he did this by foot. But he was so full of fear, so full of anxiety, so tired, so worn out, so in need of spiritual replenishment. He just decides, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to bail. And he leaves. And then, as you see, he left his servant when he got to Beersheba and travels even 25 miles further. So he's now about 125 miles into this trip. He finds a tree. And he's exhausted, as you can imagine. Anyone who travels that would take so many days, but he just did this in like a day's journey. Got it done so quickly. He's exhausted. And he tells God, God, I'm done. My life's fruitless. It's pointless. It's very interesting. In this moment, he's exhausted. He's depleted. He's discouraged. He's down. And he cannot look at all that God had done through him. All he sees is all the bad things. And I just want to relate to this because this is how I can be. No matter how many times God comes through for my life, I can look and still see the holes. I can look and still see the things I'm anxious about. Have you experienced that? No matter how much good you have, it's easy to see the bad. No matter how many victories you've had and progress you've made, you still see where you struggle. You still see how you are not measuring up. And this is what Elijah's saying. He's just like, I'm done, God. He's in like full depression at this point. Now, I don't know if you've struggled with depression, but depression is real. Depression is this discouragement that can just last and hold on to you and like choke the life out of you. You can be depressed to the point where you can't get out of bed, where you can't go on. I've experienced a depression for about a week at a time, different seasons of my life where I just feel very discouraged. For me specifically, a lot of times, it's even like a spiritual attack, like the enemy coming against me to discourage me. At at one period, a few years ago, I woke up one morning and I felt like the joy had left my life. I mean, there were good things happening in life and in ministry. I still had my family. Nothing had changed, but it was like the joy had left. It was there and it was gone. And I remember I, I couldn't really even smile. In fact, it was like my facial structure had lost the memory of how to even form a smile or anything representing happiness. And it was a very struggle, dark time for me. Every morning I woke up just praying that God would help me, that I could push through this depression, push through this discouragement. And at the same time, I felt kind of this pressure, you know, on my on my head. Like it just felt like this this literal pressure, like I was trying to move forward. And this is like the wilderness, like you're trying to move forward and you feel stuck. You feel like you're moving forward, but you're maybe going in circles. You're not making progress. And this happens when you want to accomplish the purposes of God, you're going to have opposition. The enemy will come against you. You're also going to have opposition from others that don't believe or agree with your convictions. You'll have opposition within yourself. And this is what Elijah was facing. This is what I faced in my own life. And you probably faced it as well. A deep discouragement, depression. Thankfully for me, as I continue to turn to God and I continue to trust him, that pressure was, was lifted. And I remember at that moment that that pressure left, the first thing I did, it was in the early morning and it was like a smile came and tears filled my eyes and the joy was returned. 
And I, I can remember it. It was like it was gone. And I was struggling and battling for a week and then it came back. This is what's happening in Elijah's life. He's struggling. He's battling. And he finds this tree and he just tells God, like, I'm, I'm done. I give up. I don't know what else to do. I'm just running and that's what I want to do. But I'm exhausted. And so he, he takes a moment to rest. Let's pick up the story in verse 5. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. There's an image there of a broom tree. It's just a tree that you see uh, in the Middle East that provides some shade. It's hot. You're in the barren wilderness. You need some shade. You need a place where you can kind of reprieve. And this kind of represents what he was longing for. I'm in the wilderness, but I need some covering. I need some shade. I need some refreshment. And then, and behold, the scripture goes on, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water and he ate and drank and lay down again. Very interesting. He ran and basically went rogue. He decided I'm taking matters into my own hands. You see nowhere from the threat of Jezebel, Elijah turning to God and saying, God, will you protect my life? Will you preserve it? Will you help me? No, what he did is he turned into fear. He turned inward and he had his own plan. He went rogue and just ran away. And in this moment, under the tree, he's exhausted. He has nothing to eat. This could be the beginning of the end. He will not survive. He has nothing to eat or drink. And he just ran 125 miles. And in that moment, God in his grace provided an angel to provide food. And I love that picture. In the wilderness and in the waiting, it's so easy to focus on everything you don't have. But in the middle of it, God still provides. He still comes through. He actually still gives us what we need. Even when we might be pouty, even when we might be totally rebelling against God, God is still gracious and he's kind and he is compassionate. And he was replenished. God gave him sustenance. The story goes on in verse seven. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Harab, the mount of God. So the angel came, provided him food. He went back to rest. The angel came again, woke him up and said, you need to eat. Because if you're going to this mount, you're going to need a lot of energy and sustenance to make that trek. What I find so interesting in this picture is that, again, Elijah had not consulted God at this point. He had not asked him what the plan was. He was taking matters into his own plans. But God even provided, even in the middle of of rebellion. Isn't that very interesting? I think some of that is God wanted Elijah in his independence to realize how desperate he needed God. There's times where we come up with a plan and we want God to to stamp it, or we don't even seek God and we just move full force in that plan and, and God doesn't stand in the way. And sometimes that could seem like the doors are open, but it still gets to the point where we have to stop. We have to ask and say, God, is is this what you want? Is this your plan? It's very easy in the waiting, just like in the valleys, like we talked about last week, to take detours. And so he's in this cave after he had traveled that 40 days and he made it to his final destination. Here's where we pick up the story. Verse 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Think about all that's happened. This flea, this run, this like marathon, actually 
triple marathon to make it to this destination. Then another 40 days of travel. And he's just running. He's going rogue. He's going his own thing. Finally, he gets to the cave to kind of hide. And God says, what are you doing? In other words, why are you hiding? Why have you been running in the middle of this, this wilderness? Like, why, why have you not sought me? Now, Elijah, at this point, defends himself. Now, I can relate to this. There's a sense of which when we're in the wilderness, when we're waiting, when we're waiting for God to come through, we can get very pouty, if you will, or, or whiny, where we just blame God for all of our issues and fail to sometimes see that maybe our own choices have caused some of the problems we're facing. It's very easy to do that. Here's what Elijah says. He says, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. So he's in this spiritual wilderness. He's saying, God, I've been the only one that stood up for you. Your own people, the Israelites, they've come against me. They've not helped. And again, he's just focusing on all the things that are bad. But he's failed to see that he just had had a major victory on Mount Carmel. God had come through. But it's so easy, again, to focus on what we don't have. When we are in the wilderness, it's very easy to just look at our circumstances and get desperate. Come up with our own plans. So God, God listens to him, as God often does to all of us. He listens to our prayers. He hears us. And then God also acts. And here's what he says in verse 11. And he said, this is God, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. So you're in the cave and he says, come out of the cave, stand before me. Then it goes on. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Very interesting. He tells Elijah, Elijah, go out. And as he goes out, stuff begins to happen. And it kind of represents the very presence of God. But it's very interesting. It really represents the power of God, but it wasn't his presence because what we just read, he wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the rocks falling. He wasn't in the earthquake. And I think that's so fascinating of the wilderness. There's so many things that we expect God to do. God, if you would just do this, if you just make this happen. But there's times where God uses the wilderness for us to realize like we have what we need. If you have a relationship with God through Christ, the one who came, the one who is with us, you can get through any season you face. Even the things that you long for that you don't have, even the things that you wish to change that you can't. It's sometimes the wilderness to remind us like, you know what, God, it's not on all of my goals. It's not on all of my dreams. It's not all in the visions I have. It's you and you are enough. And here's the truth. It's better to be in the wilderness with God than on the mountains without him. It's better to experience the hard things but know God is with you than to do life your own way. Have all this to show for it but not have a relationship with God. And that's the lesson that God is trying to really reinforce in Elijah. And the story continues in verse 12. And after the earthquake, a fire. So now more just supernatural, crazy things are happening. But the Lord was not in the fire. So he wasn't in the earthquake. 
He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the fire. And notice what it says. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Now in this passage alone, this is kind of a funny thing, but you can see earth, wind, and fire. Sometimes God just does that. If you were born in the 70s, you may like think, wow, Scripture's talking about this band that would come. Well, that, that's not the truth, but there is this earth, wind, and fire happening, this presence of God, but it's actually not in those things. That's the power, but not the presence. And so many times we're looking for the power, the big things that we fail to miss, the very presence of God. I think that's so crucial. And it's this, we often look for the miraculous. We all do. We often look for these great and amazing things to happen. But often God speaks in the ordinary. The miraculous can happen. God can do whatever he wants. He has the power. He has the resources. He has the means. But oftentimes God speaks to us in the ordinary and God whispers I think that's something very fascinating because what often happens in culture and with the enemy, the lies are shouted. Lies are shouted to us everywhere. You need to do this. You need to do that because of this, because of that. And you could just be bombarded with lies, things that are actually not true about life, about how life works, about what's good, about what's bad. So sometimes the loudest messages are the most untrue. Isn't that very fascinating? Sometimes the loudest messages are the ones most untrue. And so God speaks to us in whispers many times in the ordinary. Now why? Well, God speaks in a whisper because he is near and close. Right? Isn't that the very essence of God with us? If he's with us, he has our attention because he's here. But the only way we can hear the whisper is if we look to him and if we let God have our attention. Notice what it says in Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. So if you're in the wilderness, just like if you're in the valley, God is near you. He's longing to help you. He's longing for you to call on him and say, God, I need you. I don't need all sorts of these powerful things to happen. I need you. And this is what was going on in Elijah's life. And so if you can imagine, all of this is happening, but God has been so gracious. He's provided food. He's provided resources. He finally made it to his destination where he wanted to go. And then God didn't bail on him. God got his attention. And then in the whisper, he speaks. I want to encourage you, in the wilderness, it's very easy, again, to just kind of get into what we need to do to solve our own problems. We're very independent people, especially here in the Western uh, region of the world. We're very independent. We want to do things our way. We don't need anyone. And that can often happen in the wilderness. Like, well, I'm in the wilderness. I'm stuck. I'm wandering. I'm waiting. I'm going to solve my own problem. I'll take matters into my own hands, just like Elijah did. But I want to encourage you, allow the wilderness to reinforce the things that you know to do. So if you're a Christ follower, what you know to do is is to seek the Lord. That's actually a command. We're supposed to seek Him. 
Just like Jesus did. He continually woke up early and prayed to God, his Father, for strength, for direction, for help. And if Jesus did that, that's the model for us to do that as well. We also know that we're supposed to be faithful with what he's given us. And so in the wilderness, it's very easy to run after the things that we think will solve our problems. But it's in the wilderness where I want to encourage you to do the last thing God told you to do. Instead of looking for all these things that you need to do, sometimes it's just like, well, what, what do I need to do right now? What's the last thing that God's told me? And you know that you can always be faithful. You can always seek him. God also tells us to, to get counsel. So if you get stuck, you need to seek wise counsel. And that's, in fact, one of our next steps today. So I want to encourage you. We want the miraculous. We want amazing change to happen. But oftentimes, God's right there in the ordinary. And he's whispering because he's close. He's at hand. And he's just waiting for us to turn to him. So I want to wrap up the story because I think this is helpful. In the middle of all this is happening, God gets Elijah's attention again. And he gives him some direction. And he says this in verse 13. And when Elijah heard it, this is the whisper of God. He wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Again, you see the repeat. All this had happened. Finally, God had gotten Elijah's attention. He asked the same question. What are you doing here? What are you doing wandering alone without my direction? In verse 14, he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. Again, we're seeing the repeat. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and seek, and they seek my life to take it away. So he's saying basically the same thing. They're going back and forth again. But now there's a difference because he's got, God's got Elijah's attention. Verse 15, then it shifts. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abel Mahalah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So God tells Elijah, what are you doing? And he wasn't ready yet. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my own thing because everyone's forsaken me. Then God whispers, gets his attention. He asks again, Elijah, what are you doing? Well, God, I'm, I'm, I'm in the wilderness. I'm all alone. My life is fruitless. It doesn't matter. And at that moment, as he repeats this, you could see that like, God just has his attention. And we know that because God is ready to actually give him new orders. And he says, return. You've forsaken your responsibility. You've bailed on what you're supposed to do. Return. And I love the picture there because as he's returning, what he's actually doing is he's kind of connecting now to this succession. Who's going to replace Elijah? And it's the beginning of the ministry of Elisha. And we're seeing this, this succession and transfer of authority. So in the middle of all that Elijah was wanting and focusing on, God did not give up on him. He was patient and gracious, just like he is with us. And then he gave him his responsibility. That's significant. Because I want to encourage you, many times we bail because we're, we just tell God, I'm willing to wait this amount of time. Maybe it's three months. I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to try this for three months. If, if this doesn't change, I'm done. 
You see that even with California. People are like, I, God, I don't want to be here anymore. And, and people are leaving. People are just escaping. And there's just times where, what are the orders that God has given us? For some of us, it may mean that you do need to leave. But oftentimes, we're in tough situations. We're in the wilderness. We're in the waiting. We're in the wandering so God can get our attention. Why? Because your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. Let's wrap up with some next steps. What can you do this week? How can you take the life of Elijah and what the scriptures have said and apply it to your life? Well, I want to encourage you with three ideas. You could also come up with your own. What's your sense of how God's speaking to you? Here's the first one. Seek out wise counsel where you feel stuck. Sometimes the hardest part of the waiting is you just don't even know what to do. So this isn't just this, you know, stick your head in the sand and just hope it all blows over. Some of it is in the wilderness. God wants to use that so you actually learn to ask for help. You ask questions. And so seek some wise counsel. Seek somebody out at church. Let us know on your connection card. If you need help and you need counsel, you feel like you're in this wilderness. We want to help you. That's why we're here. That's what the community of the church is all about. Second, prayer walk three times this week. What happened with Elijah? He went rogue. God no longer had his attention. The best way for God to get your attention is you pray. And so just maybe escape your house for a little bit, go outside, get some exercise, and just prayer walk. Just ask God for help in the waiting, in the wandering. Surrender to him. Surrender your life. Tell him you want to follow him with everything in you. And then the last next step is who can you invite to our Christmas service? Who are people in your life that are in the valleys, who are in the wilderness that need hope? God wants to use you. So who can you invite? Please let us know prayer requests you have. As you fill out that connection card that Joel mentioned, please let us know how we can serve you. We'd love to do that this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of Elijah the story of hope that even when we go our own way and do our own thing, you are gracious and compassionate. You still give us direction. God, show us if any of us are are just off track doing our own thing. Show us, God, that we're in the season we're in to depend on you in new ways. So as we take these next steps, as we seek out counsel, as we, we pray, God, will you just give us this overwhelming sense of, of your presence, just even in, the, in the, the whisper that we know you're here. God, we love you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who is with us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen.